Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 68 called Amelia. Today's episode is sponsored by Keg, the first two-in-one fertility tracker that assesses the key sign to the fertile window, cervical fluid. Did you know, guys, that cervical fluid is full of minerals and metals like sodium, potassium, calcium, and more? These elements make up the electrolyte structure of the cervical fluid, which changes throughout the cycle. It's essentially what Keg tests for in the vaginal environment with its advanced sensing technology. That's how Keg can provide an earlier cue to your fertile window compared to devices monitoring secondary signs like temperature and luteinizing hormone levels. Besides being able to track your unique cycle in real time, Keg doubles as a Kegel exercise ball, guys. That way you can exercise your pelvic floor while receiving data about your cycles all in two minutes every day. Talk about multitasking. So three years ago, when Christina Kohajova realized she and all women alike deserve a better solution to getting objective data about their bodies, she gathered a team of clinicians and engineers to create Keg. So Keg is body safe and FDA registered medical device that's even suitable for those experiencing irregular cycles. So go to keg.tech. So it's www keg.tech and use the promo code infertileaf to get $20 off your fertility tracker. Thanks, Keg. You guys, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to tell you about this podcast I found that I'm obsessed with. It's called Housewives of True Crime, and it's hosted by Tabitha and Gretchen, these two friends who are hilarious. Their rapport is just the best. And they talk about how they like wine, true crime, and in bed by nine. So they're both moms. They like to drink and they're fascinated with these true crime stories. Like they recently did an episode on Scott Peterson. It was a two-parter. Remember Scott and Lacey Peterson, that whole saga? They've done ones on Aileen Warnos and just so many other true crime stories. But they put their own kind of hilarious spin in between and talk about their own lives and they're just really cool and funny to listen to so just wanted to let you know my current obsession so check it out on apple or anywhere you download your podcasts it's called housewives of true crime let me know what you think so before we get going i just wanted to remind you guys in case you didn't know that fertility rally the content hub and community that we launched on june 1st is now live and available for membership. So definitely go check it out. We've got tons of events, virtual events, like the one we did last night called All Things IVF with Dr. Josh Klein from Extend Fertility. We've got resources, blogs, expert opinions, bonus podcasts, so much fresh content every single week. And we've also got groups that you can join and talk to other members. So we have a searchable member platform where you can connect with people and meet. And we've been having these weekly member support groups on Wednesday nights that have just been amazing. We laugh and we cry and it's just really awesome. So I wanted to offer you guys a special trial membership as one of my infertile AF listeners. If you guys use the code RallyAlly, R-A-L-L-Y, A-L-L-Y, you can sign up and get your first month totally free. So check it out at fertilityrally.com. I hope to see you guys there. Thanks. Okay, guys. So today we are talking to Amelia Bekrakis-Serhant, 
a lawyer, a Manhattan mom, and a TV personality that you guys might know from Million Dollar Listing, the Bravo reality show she appears on with her husband, real estate mogul Ryan Serhant. And today, Amelia is going to tell us all about how she and Ryan met and fell in love and got married, and how after they started to try and have a baby, things didn't go as planned. So she's also going to talk about her children's book, To the Moon and Back for You, which is so cute, and it's perfect for anybody who's struggling with or has struggled with anything on their journey to have a baby. It's an adorable book, and she's going to tell us about her IVF journey and having their daughter, Zena. So without further ado, this is Amelia's infertility story. Hi, Amelia. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. You are in the queue. The quarantine is the queue as we're calling it in Manhattan. <laughs> so I know you've got your little daughter and it's kind of tricky these days, right? Yes. Especially since she's discovered that she can climb everything, right. pull at everything, and she loves electric sockets. Oh no. That's, that's the- the fun part, but, and she now knows how to remove baby proofing. Oh, so, really hard. that's yeah. a tricky phase. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, thank you for talking to us today and for sharing your story. I know you've been so open about what you guys have gone through and you have a children's book that we're going to talk about towards the end, but I love to start at the beginning with everyone. And I know you come from a big family, a big Greek family. And tell me about growing up. Did you always, you know, you love being part of a big family. Did you always want to have kids? Yeah, I think I always knew that I wanted a family, a big family. Uh, I think culturally, that's just how I grew up in Greece. You know, it's very common. Even if you're not a large family, you're just, your extended family is a part of your family. So mm-hmm. you're, you're very close to your grandparents and your aunts and your uncles and your cousins, and even if they're distant cousins. So it's kind of the norm. And I think I always knew I wanted a loud Greek family, yes. a big Greek family. I, I now have the one loud child. So she called, <laughs> is she loud? Yeah, she's very loud. But I think, I think I always knew that I wanted to be a mom and it was something that I dreamt about, but I never really planned for. And it was kind of one of those things that I honestly took for granted. And I thought, oh, it's a given. I'm going to have lots of kids. And I never once did it cross my mind that it would ever be a difficult journey or that, you know, I'd have to really try hard to have a family. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's really common with a lot of people who go through this. So tell me about, let's just start with your husband, Ryan, how did, tell me how you guys met and got together. And at what point did you know that you wanted to spend your life with him? I was born in New York, but I was raised in Greece. So I left when I was very young and I went to university in England. And then my brother had come over to New York, I guess a year prior to me visiting him. And I, and I kind of, you know, I was playing around with the idea over the years of coming back to the States, but I never thought it would, I never thought that I would actually do it. So I told my 
employer at the time, because I was living and working in Greece, I said, you know, I'm going to go to New York for three months to visit my older brother who had just moved to New York and I'll be back. So I kind of want to take a leave before I sign on onto a new position and, you know, I wouldn't be able to take vacation time, but I kind of was playing around with the idea of really moving to New York. Mm -hmm. But I comes, I had gone for, so towards the end of the, that trip, let's say, I said, you know, um, I'm not going to hang out. It it doesn't seem like, you know, I I couldn't, I was sort of dabbling in interviews and looking for a job and Mm -hmm. I I didn't really find something in my field. And I said, you know, I'm going to leave. And it was towards the end of the holidays at the time. And I was working temporarily or part-time for a Greek Jewish developer, uh, was a, a friend of a friend. And he asked me to help him host a Hanukkah party on the Upper East Side at one of his new townhouse listings. And at some point, he asked me to check in people coming into this Hanukkah party and in walked in mm-hmm. Ryan. And this was maybe three or four, three weeks before I was going to go back to Greece. And I almost fell off my chair. I thought it was the most beautiful man I had ever seen. Oh, I'm but sure likewise, it. right? No. <laughs> He, I mean, if you ask him and he says that he went home that, you know, uh, that holiday and told his parents that he met his wife. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think I knew at the time that I was going to marry him. I thought he was just really beautiful. Yes. And we got to chatting and he was very witty and very charming. And he asked me out immediately and I thought, oh, what's the big deal? I mean, I'm leaving. <laughs> okay, sure. Right. Uh, long story short, we got on, a, on our first date um, after we met, and I think we fell in love with each other on that date. Mm-hmm. I fought it very much uh, in thinking that this was the guy, this was the one, because I, I was terrified. Mm-hmm. He was done. He was settled. He said, that's it. You're my wife. <laughs> We're together forever. And that was it. But I... I think that was when I said, you know, maybe I will give it a shot and stay in New York. And that was a big leap of faith because, I mean, who, who knew? It could have ended up completely differently, you know? Right. And uh, the rest is history. The rest is history. And people, I know a lot of people have gotten to see, you know, your story unfold, including building your family on your show right. and stuff. So right. I know we talked about this before when I interviewed you for the Instagram Live, but... I know he yeah. proposed to you in Times Square, which I just love that. That's so baller. <laughs> Tell yeah. me about that. Ryan and I never had conversations about proposals because I didn't grow up that way. Culturally, wasn't. I mean, at the time. Now, uh, you know, in Greece, it's pretty Americanized in the, the movie yeah. sense that you get down on one knee and you give a ring, but it never really was like that. So I never had that in mind. For him, culturally, that probably was a really important part, you know, mm-hmm. that one day he was going to propose to somebody and it was going to be this big, grandiose thing because Ryan never does things, you know, that are not crazy. Right, right, right. He's, so, you guys are so fun to watch. Are we? <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> so he, I think he built it up in his head to be this massive thing and he wanted to come up with the craziest thing. And I think with Times Square... I used to go to Times Square and sort of hang out in the middle of all the craziness. And, you know, they have those, um, I think there's some steps mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle of Times Square. Yeah. Uh, well, I would just sit there and just watch all these, you know, tourists and everybody running about and this and that and the other. 
And I don't know if he remembered that I said that or something, but for him, it was a symbolic, you know, Times Square is kind of the center of New York City sort of thing. Yeah. And all these worlds collide and, you know, you're a girl from Greece and I'm a boy from Texas and we met here and how crazy and, and he wanted to do something big and grandiose. So he did that, but he, he completely surprised me. So it came mm-hmm. out of nowhere. He told me that he, we were going to drive to Boston to visit his, his younger brother on a Sunday, which was so random. And it was early in the morning. And for some reason, I woke up in a bad mood, which was weird because I always get really excited about road trips with Ryan because he can't look at his phone. (laughs) You have a captive audience. Exactly. And so I can talk about anything. So normally I'm super excited about road trips, but this time I thought, oh my goodness, it's going to be forever. And why are we waking up this early? And he kept saying something to me like, you know, maybe you should fix your hair or something. And that annoyed me even more. I was like, what do you mean? I need to fix my hair and and why? Mm -hmm. So I was kind of resistant to it. I put, I didn't put a single ounce of makeup on. Mm -hmm. I think I just put on mascara (laughs) and I got into the car. I didn't notice there was a GoPro camera in the car. I didn't Mm -hmm. notice that he was mic'd. I had no idea. I had no idea. Oh my God. Apparently if you ask him, he'll say, I thought you knew it the whole time. I had Mm -hmm. no idea. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's, he pulls into Times Square and it was blocked off by police. And I thought it was really weird. And he says, we're going to stop here for a second and if you can get out and let's go get Starbucks. Mm. And I look up from my phone and I see our, the camera crew in the distance. And for a, a split second, I think, oh, maybe he needs to drop something off to them. I don't know why I thought that. Mm-hmm. Then I got really nervous because they weren't coming close to the car. They were kind of scurrying in the distance and they were filming. And that's mm-hmm. it. I knew he was proposing. I started to cry. <laughs> and I kept saying, no, 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 no. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> it, it didn't air that part, but I kept saying, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? What did you mean? Like, why are you doing it like on such a public stage? I think it was everything. It was so overwhelming. And this was my feeling when he was proposing. And even after, it took me about a week to recover from it. I think I felt so overwhelmed by the lengths that he had gone to. Mm. I, I couldn't believe that this person loved me so much that he wanted to do this big thing and he wanted to do it in this public way. And also, you know, you're in love with the person they're proposing to you. So I was pretty blown away by that. Yeah. And I knew my life was going to change. You know, I knew that I was never really going to, I was never going to move back to Europe. My roots would find, would be here you know, getting married is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I knew my life would change forever. Yeah. So you're having all the feels. (laughs) All the feels and on camera and the fact that there were, there were cameras in my face. So it was very overwhelming. And at the time I probably had no idea that it was going to be viral, that people were going to write about it, that people were going to reach out to me from random places in the world just because of the proposal, not even Mm -hmm. because of, you know, the show. Somebody recently told me it's in I Ro- it's in Mr. Robot in the oh, show. Really? Yeah, and I, I mean it was I oh, still get cool. tagged in things or I get emails about yeah, it and I had no idea and I think that changed everything it sort of catapulted me into a public. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so but tell me about when you guys so you got married and the whole thing was chronicled and I rewatched some of it of before course. I talked to you last time it's so good. <laughs> And, you know, you guys are obviously in the public eye. So tell me about when you started to try to have kids. And at first, were you pretty, were you like vocal about it? Or were you guys trying to keep some stuff private? 
And how do you navigate like the private versus public, what you're going to talk about, what you're not going to talk about? Right. We were trying from, you know, early on when we had gotten married, but it was sort of, I was very private, but I was private about it even to my family and my friends. I kept sort of saying, oh, I'm not in a rush. You know, I'm not. And I don't know that I felt that I was in a rush, but I, I was so nervous about it that I, I just kept saying, no, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. And maybe part of me wasn't, but I think for the most part, I just kept it to myself. And when I started to realize something was wrong, it made me more and more protective of that. And that was very hard for me to open up about. And I remember uh, when we finally decided to go through fertility treatments and I, I was so, you know, scared and uh, in talking to Bravo and to, you know, our producers and stuff, I, I just was so nervous about making it public, even mentioning it. Mm-hmm. And it was not until I actually, you know, went through with it. And obviously, you know, I had the success of, of a pregnancy and, mm-hmm. you know, having Zena. it wasn't until having her that I really felt very open about it. Right. And so what were you scared of? Was it like the judgment or just not having that the privacy or I think it was everything. I think and I and I sometimes think about it a lot now, but I think a little bit more then I thought I'm opening up the door to something and there was a sort of Pandora's box. Then what where's the where's the line? Where do we draw the line? If we're now public about, you know, that and where does it stop? Mm-hmm. And I am a, a very private person. Mm-hmm. And in meeting Ryan and knowing that he is the opposite of that, and he, <laughs> he loves, even though he's, he's very, you know, obviously he's very protective of his family and mm-hmm. me and everything, but he is a very open person and he, and he loves being public and that's just his persona and everything that he does. He, he, he loves sharing that was really hard to kind of navigate and juggle. And from the outset, I sort of said, I'm going to, be the one that's private and you can do you, but don't kind of involve me too much with it. So I dabbled in, you know, the public life mm-hmm. that way. And with this, from the outset, I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to. And he was very, he was the one who kept saying, but what if you, what if you help another couple mm-hmm. feel like they're not alone? And I think it was in thinking of it that way or viewing it that way that made me more open about it. And now I could, I'll tell anybody. Right. So <laughs> I'll chat up about whatever you want related <laughs> to IVF and so on and so forth. And, you know, with the book and everything that yes. sort of out even more. And I feel very, very differently about it now. Yeah. And I feel a little bit more open even about being public about a lot of things. But I, I do often think, where do we draw the line? Everybody overshares everything at all times. And, you know, where, where do you feel comfortable? Where, where, where's that line that you continue to feel like you preserve something for yourself and then, you know? So what was happening with you guys when you did decide to pursue the fertility treatments? Was it, if you, you know, if you don't mind going into a little bit of detail where you, you just weren't becoming pregnant or had you had a loss I was not becoming pregnant. Okay. Uh, truthfully, if I had went through a loss, I don't know how I would be able to bounce back from that. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I hear many stories of women who have gone through it, and I have mm-hmm. close friends of mine, and mm-hmm. I, I did not experience that. But I was not getting pregnant. 
at all. And that took a few, that took a while. And we underwent, we did a few fertility treatments before we went through IVF mm-hmm. and those were not working. And I took hormones and they were not working and tried every single test under the sun, any yeah. holistic thing that you can imagine under the sun I've done. Right. Uh, Was it just that, unexplained infertility at that point? That I mean, that's what they called it. Yeah. You know, uh, which is even more infuriating because I wish somebody would say, it's that and this is how you fix it or this is how you don't Exactly. Fix it. When you don't have a specific answer, it can be so frustrating and overwhelming. Can you tell me about some of the holistic things that you did? I love to hear certain oh, I, things like did acupuncture. I did, what's it called? I did Maya massages. I what's did, that? I went, oh, they do a specific massage on your uterus, I guess. It, okay. It helps blood flow. Oh yes. I've read about uh, this. Okay. I, I did, I went to a chiropractor, but I discovered the chiropractor late in the game and everybody's told me that that really helps. I've been to a shaman <laughs> okay, who helped with my energy or whatever, I open chakras. I don't know what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, I did various, you know, liver flushes and that sort of thing, and detoxing and mm-hmm. cleansing and supplements, and mm-hmm. I've done that sort of stuff, and, and none of that worked. Timing, right. obviously, time, you know, intercourse and yep. ovulation and temperatures, and short of hanging myself upside down, you know, and <laughs> feather in my hair and dancing about on a specific day. I don't yes. know. I, I tried, you know, everything. I think that's and, so relatable. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And then so, um, we we did uh, IUIs, uh-huh. um, and those didn't work. Okay. Uh, we did both with hormones and without, and then. It came time where I went to the doctor and asked, all right, what's next? And I had changed a couple of uh, reproductive endocrinologists at that time. And then the next step was IVF. And mm-hmm. I so what was it? Can, it. You, can you tell me about the emotional side of this for you? Like, what was it? How did you feel? Were you devastated and sad and all the things? And how did it, did it have an effect on you and Ryan's relationship as well? I think it was confusion. I think it was fear. I don't know if it was in the beginning. I think it, it turned into some frustration and anger when I, you know, when you hear everybody getting pregnant or, mm-hmm. oh, we got drunk one night and it happened. And, you know, and even more so, everybody's saying, you're young, you're young, just relax. Mm-hmm. You know, that famous, just relax. It's just stress. Or, yeah. you know, somehow you feel blamed for it or that it, there's something with your lifestyle or you guys work too much or, yes. you know, you don't devote too much time to it or, you know, and I think that that's when I started to feel really scared and nervous and frustrated and all those things. And I think more fear and anxiety than anything else. What would it, what would our life look like if we couldn't have children and opening up, you know, that box you know, so to speak, or that discussion, what would our lives look like? Because ultimately, that, ultimately, that's what you think about. You know, if none, if none of our choices work or none of our opportunities work, then what is the result or what are we comfortable with or how far will we go with this? Because I really think in, in, in setting out to do IVF, it can go anyway. You know, it, we, we happen to be extremely fortunate that our, you know, one embryo worked, mm-hmm. but that's not for everyone. And that's not to say that it would happen again or 
that it couldn't take years. And so when you're when you set out for it, you don't necessarily go into it thinking, oh, this is going to be a walk in the park. We we very early on had a conversation about it could go really bad and uh, it could take years. It could take multiple rounds and maybe it won't work. And what are we comfortable with and what are we not? So mm-hmm. I think it was fear, ultimately yeah. fear of all those unknowns. And you relinquish control to science and to these talented doctors. And in a way you accept that you have no, you have no control over it yet. You sort of feel like you're doing something for it. You know, mm-hmm. you're working harder at it, but you know, you're, you don't have any control over it. So right. mixed emotions, I guess. Yeah. And it sounds like as a couple, this might've like, you guys kind of came together as a team. Is that, would that be correct in saying? I mean, for some relationships, I think it's really can be detrimental. Like for, I've talked about before with my husband and I, we were in a really low place after, you know, four miscarriages and trying for, you know, three plus years and not getting anywhere. And, you know, he was kind of ready to stop and I wasn't. And, you know, we were just at a different place. Did you guys have any of those clashing? Of course, of course. I mean, I'd be lying if I said it was a, it was great all the time in roses. I think it was before we did IVF. It just it took a toll in that we both dealt with anxiety and fear in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think I've, I've told you this before. It mm-hmm. was a, it was a great opportunity to see each other in that situation and how we navigate those situations. So now I feel like in a way I know how Ryan reacts to anxiety and fear and, you know, being devastated. I had no idea. I thought he was devastated. I had no idea that he felt devastated. I thought he was almost indifferent mm-hmm. or that he, you know, he shut down and I couldn't get much out of him. Whereas I'm, I'm far more vocal or more emotional, at least outwardly. And I, I thought he didn't, I thought he didn't care, but mm-hmm. it was the opposite. I think he cared so much more. And the way he expressed it was different. And I think I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity to realize how he how he handles that. And the same mm-hmm. with me. So we had, you know, really low moments, but immediately after it was like it was like a learning experience. Mm-hmm. You know, immediately we were able to say, Oh, I had no idea you felt this way. And why didn't you just say that? And I think through the process of that, just, you know it helped so much. And of course we had, you know, those bad moments. And when we went into IVF, I think it, it saved everything. I think it made such a massive difference because we were, we're very goal oriented people. And I think we also felt like we were moving towards something. Right. And, because you had a plan, right? Right. And yeah, you know, whether it was going to work or not. And I think at that point we had a very frank conversation that was, are you all in or you're all out? You know, I can't, we can't, we, we might go down a road that this might take years and years mm-hmm. and I need to know, are you in it <laughs> or are you going to change your mind? I mean, nobody can really predict, but right. I mean, it's a promise, right? You sort of the same way when you get married, you promise to your, your spouse to forever. I mean, you kind of have to say it's going to be really hard and there's going to be tough days. Are, are you ready for the tough days? Absolutely. And we had that conversation and it was from that point on, everything changed. Yeah. I, I feel even before Zina, it was just, he was there for every appointment. He was, you know, so involved and so excited about it and so positive and had such great sense of humor about it. 
Mm -hmm. And there was, you know, when you, I think if you remember this, you know, when you go through uh, where you have your calls and they say how many embryos, how many eggs, and Mm -hmm. this, that, and the other, and, you know, the numbers weren't there and I was devastated and I was so nervous and I was so scared. He just was so positive. He was so positive and so, and added so much humor to it that I felt, you know, it made such a massive difference. Mm-hmm. And so, so remind me, did you guys I did... Think, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I, how many times we, we did it? Yes. Is that what you were going to ask? Yeah. Uh, we went through one cycle of IVF. Uh-huh. We were extremely lucky. My doctor kept pressing me to do a fresh embryo transfer because he said he has one embryo and he doesn't want to risk testing. And so we should just go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. And we did the transfer. So on the transfer day, all I had was Zena. And mm-hmm. I think they were looking at the other ones. There were just a few. I honestly don't even remember how they were, like two mm-hmm. or three. And they weren't really, they weren't good. <laughs> and this this was my shot. At least mm-hmm. this was my, my, my only chance of this happening in this cycle. Yeah. Did they and give you like a percentage or anything? No, my doctor was so such a stickler for that. He would not give me a percentage. He okay. Not, he just wouldn't divulge anything. He said, this is what we have and this is what we're going to deal with. I kept asking, so what are the odds and what are we mm-hmm. going to do and what happens? And then, so if I do another cycle, what are the odds? I just was so obsessed with numbers Yeah. because I wanted to increase my chances and right. the chances were so low at that point. But even yeah. then, I went in feeling okay uh, it is what it is and I'll figure it out on the other side of it mm-hmm. and she just happened to take <laughs> so amazing that same thing happened to me I had one embryo wow. one wow. shot and we I got lucky like you did it's pretty it's very rare it's we're yeah. so lucky and yeah yeah the more people I talk to that go through you know round after round and it's just I knew I was lucky but I didn't realize how how small of a, a chance of it taking. So yeah, I know that same feeling. So tell me about when you found out that you were pregnant. How did, how did you get the news and how did you guys react to that? With IVF, you were scheduled to do a blood test regardless so mm-hmm. that they can confirm or tell you didn't take. And they do that two weeks. I think it's two weeks after. I can't really recall. I'm assuming it's two or three weeks after. Mm-hmm. And I was scheduled on a Monday and Ryan kept saying, you're pregnant. <laughs> I said, no way, Ryan, please. I'm getting my period. I am not pregnant. Stop. Mm-hmm. Don't get my hopes up high. I said, no, you are. I said, what makes you think that? He said, you're eating, you're eating burgers. You never eat meat. <laughs> you are definitely pregnant. And this child is a boy and he's a caveman. I don't know why, but we were convinced. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, when I found out I was pregnant, I said, oh, he's a boy. He, he just has a crazy appetite. Mm-hmm. But, um, which is not how science works, but you know, for humor. Right, for, right, right. For, yeah. So he, he said, come on, take a blood test take, and take a pregnancy test. Uh-huh. So it was a day before I was going to go in for a blood test or something. Oh, wow. And I didn't even want to go to the blood test because I said it's negative and I don't want to see that. I don't want to go through that. Just yeah. give, me, give me a few more days so I can wrap my head around it being negative. And we went into the bathroom and I took the test and it was clear as day. Two very bold lines. Yeah. I was pregnant and oh I God. burst out crying because yep. it was the first time I cried 
through the entire process. I hadn't cried. Wow. Yeah, Are you just all, not a big crier in general? Oh, I'm, oh, I'm a crier. But for me, because I'm so sensitive, if I, if I cry, I feel like I'm, I, I will lose it. You know, oh, I, will, okay. I will really cry and it'll break my heart and I don't want to go down that path. So mm-hmm. with that, I just said, I don't, you know, throughout IVF, I didn't want to cry. I didn't want to feel sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be happy and and positive and optimistic, but Mm -hmm. it was the first time I just broke down crying. Ryan started crying. I told you, you know, I knew it. You're pregnant. You're really pregnant. (sighs) And, you know, after that, your IVF doctor doesn't release you to to your OBGYN for until you're at least eight weeks. Mm -hmm. So he told me very early on, it's not a real pregnancy yet. You know, it worked, but let's see, like, didn't want it to get our hopes up high. Mm-hmm. So I really, I very much took it that way. I said, okay, but all right, maybe it worked. And we didn't tell our families. Okay. Uh, we kept it for a while and yeah. until I was released to the OBGYN. Yeah. That's when I told just our, our parents, we didn't even tell our siblings. And then from that point on, I was not public about it until I gave birth. I was right. very scared and you know, superstitious and absolutely protected and yeah. Yeah. So I know you had told me before, and if you don't mind telling me again, because I thought this was interesting, going to the appointments as somebody in the public eye, like I think you'd mentioned that sometimes you guys, people would kind of recognize you in the waiting yeah. room or tell me about that. Like, what was that like? Uh, I, I mean, bef- even before IVF, when I was going for appointments, uh, you know, people notice you, they know, they know you and some people will say something, some people won't, but you know that they know, they know you cause they're, you know, they're looking, they're talking, mm-hmm. they're chatting somehow. Did you ever uh, get the thing where someone like holds up their phone and takes a picture, but pretends like they're like, I've had that. Yeah. I've had oh. that. I mean, and we're not, I don't consider my, I think I've said this before. I don't consider myself a celebrity or anything mm-hmm. by any means, but it, I've, but somebody I've seen that in the, somebody recognizable, yeah, right? I've seen I've seen that happen, and it's you know very strange. It, yes, yes, I can imagine. Uh, and so I think because I was very private about it, I didn't I didn't know whether it would become something or people would talk about it. And I think more than anything, I was so nervous about jinxing it. And I know that's a weird magical way of thinking, and it but it's a very Greek thing. Yeah, and I didn't want to put it out there, even that I was trying that way. And there was, I think for Ryan, it was harder. I guess guys deal with it differently. You know, Mm -hmm. at this point as women, especially after birth, you don't care about anything anymore. You can walk around naked and it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. Exactly. The way it used to. So I, I don't think I was, I think I was more nervous about somebody jinxing it for us. And then for him, I felt that, you know, his, his private life was a little bit more out there. And I think that might've, you know, got to us. Yeah. And after a while, you're all in the same boat. So I'm there, you're there. We're looking at each other. We kind of know why we're here. So you're all in the same thing. Right. So it was, there, were, there were moments that were really kind of, I was embarrassed by. But yeah, you know. No. So I, I also, you touched on, and I think this is so important to talk about too, is like, so after you have, you know, had a hard time and then, but then you do get pregnant, you're still never really able to relax. So can you, I know that you definitely experienced that and you wrote about it on Instagram and we've talked about it too. Can you tell me a little bit more about that feeling of like not, you know, once once you've had a hard time and, you know, even if you have success, quote unquote, it's never like. Yeah, I mean, you don't, I had a very, 
I'm going to say traumatic pregnancy because it was, uh, mm-hmm. I very early on had a hematoma, um, you know, hemorrhage and mm-hmm. I thought it was miscarrying mm-hmm. and I was diagnosed with toxoplasmosis, which, which is a parasite that can, yeah. you know, basically you can lose your child yeah. or your child oh. can be born with blindness or die after, or it could be stillborn and, and all these sort of horrible things. Mm-hmm. So throughout my pregnancy, I was very scared and I almost felt that the IVF worked and I, you know, I hadn't paid my dues somehow, which is crazy to think mm-hmm. uh, and that I didn't deserve it. And I knew it, it was too good to be true and I'm going to lose this baby. So for me, that was very, you know, each, each appointment that I went to, I just, I had to be sure that she was going to live and she was healthy. So that was tacked onto this, you know, you feel, you feel scared. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not done with IVF for me. The journey didn't stop suddenly when I was pregnant. It, it was, it felt a continuous journey until she was out, until I held her in my arms, until some doctor looked at me and said, she's fine. Right. You know, so that's, I very much felt that it wasn't over. Yeah. And especially when you've experienced Especially, I'm sure in your case where you where you have loss, you mm-hmm. you never really, you're not sure. You're always scared, and right. especially as a new mom, you know you're you're constantly checking to see if they're breathing. Of course, you know, it's, it's just how I I I still feel that sometimes. I think you, know? you said it best in one of your Instagram posts. You said, "I talk to you every single day for 41 long weeks, begging yeah. you to stick." Absolutely. Absolutely. Every really day, well every night I would rub my belly and I'd say, stick, baby, stick. Mm. stick I baby, just got stick. the chills. Yeah. <laughs> and then when she was 41 weeks and she was past due, I could say, okay, baby, time to come out. Time to come out. <laughs> right. Oh, it's so sweet. I'm so happy for you guys that it did work and that you have Zena, who's so adorable. Can you tell me about the children's book that you wrote that came out of this experience? Because it's it's so awesome, and I'm going to post about it and you know, put it all up. Yeah, I was when I was pregnant. Every you know, talking to the baby and writing little notes and that sort of thing. And then when she was born, I sort of said little poems and little words to her. And I kept telling Ryan, "I'm going to write a children's book one day. I'm going to put this all into a book for her." Obviously, I never thought it would be published, but I thought, oh, it would be so cute just to have a little book for Zena. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I can start a conversation of how she was born and how she came to life and how, you know, what, what, what our process was. And it just so happened that I was connected through Ryan's, I guess, I, I, they reached, uh, the, the publishing house had reached out to me mm-hmm. about, you know, I guess I had been more public about IVF and that sort of thing. And that there was, mm-hmm. you know, a space for that in the children's book world. And I was so excited because I said, I have exactly the idea of what I want to write. Mm-hmm. And to the moon and back for you happened. And we found an amazing, very talented illustrator, E.G. Keller. And mm-hmm. yeah, he it's a turned these book. little, beautiful, yeah. He turned these, these sweet little words into this beautiful book of art and there's a lot of hidden messages in mm-hmm. the photos which i think is far more special than the words itself but the book was really you know honoring all moms who have gone through a long journey to mm-hmm. to becoming a mother and it's not just you know exclusive for moms who have gone through IVF 
it's it's everybody who has been yeah. through you know has gone to the moon and back for their baby to you exactly. know to reach their baby yeah and it's i love this book so much obviously it came out during you know the most difficult time in all our in all of our lives you know with uh with this virus right so i haven't been very vocal about it because i wanted to respect you know what everybody else is going through during mm-hmm. this time so i i haven't really talked a lot about it but it is the most amazing book ever and I'm obsessed with it. And at least mm-hmm. Zena has this beautiful book and I hope other moms will read it to their miracle babies. And I'm just enjoying so much talking to all these mothers. Yeah, They'll reach out to me and they tell me their stories. And I feel now that I'm a part of this beautiful community of, of these warrior women and I love that. Absolutely. That was going to be my next question is what some of the feedback, can you give me like an example maybe of something someone said to you or a story that you've heard from somebody? I've heard so many. I've heard stories of loss, many, many years of loss and many, Mm -hmm. many years of trying. And, you know, they'll tell me about their, you know, their success and, you know, in real time. And I love hearing that because Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm there for them and I feel like I'm a part of them. And honestly, I hope whoever's listening to this will know I cry when I, when I read these messages or mm-hmm. when I read these stories and I may not say that because I think that maybe they won't believe me, <laughs> but I will sit there at night and I will read these stories and I will read this. And, and when a woman tells me she's finally pregnant, I cry and Ryan thinks I'm nuts in the middle of the night crying, reading these stories. But I, but I really feel so connected and I'm so happy when I hear that. And I think that the fact that this book brought that about, mm-hmm you know, into my life and I'm able to see that. And I just, it means so much to me and it has opened up my heart to it and to really wanting to help women who are struggling and couples in general who, you know, it's, it's, it's an incredibly taxing process and it's also very financially draining and it's really uh, opened me up to finding ways to help couples you know, go, go through this and how I can deliver as much information and as much, as many resources as possible to these, to these couples. And every day, I mean, today I just opened up one of my messages and a woman who had been trying for many years and she finally decided to do donor eggs Mm -hmm. and she's waiting for her baby boy to come. Mm. And that's just the most amazing thing ever. Absolutely. Yeah. We always say that, or I always say this is the worst club with the best members because the people Absolutely. are they're just I love that. Yeah. the people are just so great. And everybody's coming from such a place of love yeah. and wanting to help each other out. And yes. I mean, everybody I've met through this community has just brought something different to the table and but you know, has the same kind of common goal that we really just want to help each other. And I think that your book is so beautiful and I'm so glad it's out in the world. And thank you again for taking the time to tell your story and you're going to help so many more people who hear this as well. So thanks for doing this. Thank you. And thank you for all the things that you're doing. I think it's an amazing platform and I love that you're sharing all these stories and it'll make a really big difference. (music) 
Okay, guys. So thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Amelia. And Amelia, thank you so much for sharing your life with us and for telling your story with so much honesty. Definitely check out her book, guys. And also, if you love this podcast, I really appreciate it. And I would also appreciate if you went to Apple and wrote a review and a rating because that really helps us get noticed and spread the word. And one more thing, please check out fertilityrally.com if you haven't already. So lots of plugs here at the end, but you guys get it every day. You got to hustle. I really appreciate it. And I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks. Bye.